the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome into the show. I am your host for the day, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. This is CFP. I'm trained in taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, and investing. That means today you can call the show. If you've got a money question, comments on business, the economy, I'd love to talk to you. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Or you can email me, chad at chadburton.com. It's also where you can sign up at uh, or for the event that Rob Black and I are doing together this Thursday, June 4th, in Burlingame, the Doubletree by Hilton, 6.30 p.m. It's going to be 10 Pillars Retirement Income Planning. 10 key things you need to know. So if you're within 10 years from retirement, you're in retirement, you don't want to miss this one. Get off track, get out of traffic, pull over, come into the event. You can sign up at robblack.com. So Rob will be talking about some dividend achiever stocks and what those are. It's really important to own stocks that pay you. Even when stock prices are down, you get you have income coming into your your checking account per se in retirement. So dividend achiever stocks is something that I tend to put but at least 20% of a portfolio in when planning for people's retirement. And uh, also joining us would be Michelle Lerman from LermanLaw.com. Michelle Lerman is an estate planning attorney. She's a specialist in that area. When you go to deal with your estate planning, you don't want an attorney that does a little bit of um, litigation here, a little bit of uh, family law there, and a little bit of will writing. You want somebody that all they do is deal with wills and trusts and things like that. So she's going to go over five critical rules in terms of what estate planning is needed for retirement. Yesterday, her and I were talking about retirement accounts specifically, because that can kind of get confusing. A lot of people, they go get a living trust, and they're like, hey, do I put my IRA or my 401k into my trust? Do I name the beneficiary as a living trust? Typically not. Your IRAs, 401ks can't go into a living trust, and it's not typically a wise idea to name the beneficiary as the trust. Usually you name your spouse and your kids directly. But what if your kids are young? What if your kids are horrible with money? Should you name the trust then? No, typically you actually set up a specific IRA trust 
that is only formed after you pass away. You want to do that if you're leaving your kids over typically half a million bucks or so, and they're going to be younger and they're going to need a custodian, a person that handles the money for them, or a trustee if if you want to protect them from lawsuits and divorce, and it's a larger amount of money, and you don't want them to spend it all at once, you want somebody else to kind of control their spending habits, you name a specific type of IRA trust that you create along with your living trust. If usually IRAs and 401ks, if you own them yourself, have asset protection, have some bankruptcy protection. Inherited IRAs, and what I mean by that is if my dad has an IRA and names me as the beneficiary, he passes away, I roll it into an inherited IRA. It's actually my dad's name, deceased Chad Burton, beneficiary. And it stays in that account. I have to take a certain amount out each year based on my life expectancy. I can take more if I want but it continues to grow tax-deferred. That asset is not protected from lawsuits, things like that, because it's not in my name, technically. It's in the name of my deceased parent at that point. So you have to be very careful. When it comes to retirement planning and estate planning and combining those issues, one of the things I always ask people, do you have any charitable intents? Do you want to leave a legacy, your church, your favorite charity? If that's the case... One of the first places I look is the IRA. Somebody's going to pay taxes on your 401k or IRA, either you or your kids or your grandkids. The only way to avoid that is to leave that money to charity. So if you want to leave, you know, 50 grand to your church when you pass away and you've got a really large IRA, carve out 50 grand, put it in a separate IRA account and name the church directly. Nobody will ever pay the taxes on that money. As long as it's a you know, true nonprofit and it's organized correctly. Church will get the money, they're a nonprofit. Charity will get the money, they're a nonprofit, they don't pay the taxes. Everybody wins. So also if you're trying to say, okay, what am I going to carve out? What am I going to leave to my grandkids versus my kids? Well the grandkids are younger, so they'd be better off inheriting the IRA accounts, or especially the Roth IRA accounts. Because then they can defer the taxes or in the case of a Roth IRA, they can roll the, your Roth IRA into an inherited Roth IRA and continue tax-free income and growth for the rest of their lives. So a lot of family planning that goes along in there. Update your beneficiaries, though. I had Michelle Lerman on the afternoon show the other day, and she was talking about a woman had passed away with her old boyfriend on, on uh, the, in, in the IRA account rather than the, the husband. Um, Actually, this is on title of the house rather than the husband because they got married and moved into her house. And there is an omitted spouse law in the probate code, but that could end up in litigation. When it comes to IRAs, same thing. If if they don't roll over an IRA into either their own IRA account as a spouse or an inherited IRA, in a certain period of time, you can lose that ability to defer those taxes. So updating your beneficiaries and your IRAs and your 401ks, your life insurance, your annuities, if you own them. Very, very important part of estate planning. Very important part of estate planning. Now, do you have an estate tax problem? Probably not. Unless you're, a, if, if you're worth over $5.45 million and you're single, then you have a federal estate tax problem. If you're worth twice that amount, if you're married, then you have an estate tax problem. That's not most of America. Most Americans will not pay estate taxes. 
However, you probably, if you're in California and you had some assets, you probably did a living trust way back when. And that living trust creates what's called an A trust and a B trust when you pass away, sometimes even a third one. Well, most people don't need that trust. A lot of if you, if you look in the term and you see a bypass trust or a credit shelter trust, you probably don't need that unless you're over $10 million now. So if your trust still says that and you, when you pass, one of you passes away as a married couple, that trust, you have to fund it. You gotta, you're almost forced to fund it. And if you do that, you're actually going to increase your heirs' income taxes. They'll end up paying way more in capital gains than not. So it's time to revise your estate plan. Time to revise it. Now, it's kind of funny. So we have offices in Washington and California. So we have, you know, because of radio, we have clients all over the country, especially because of podcast. Most of our clients are in Oregon, California, and Washington. Three very different states in terms of rules. You got Washington and California community property. That means that if one spouse dies, everything gets a step up in basis. Everything. So if you bought that house for $300,000 and this one spouse dies, it's worth $2 million. You could sell it tax-free after the death. Oregon, not the same. You only get a step up in basis in half. California is a great place to die. Horrible place to earn a lot of money because the taxes are so high, but it's a great place to die because there's no state inheritance or there's no state estate tax. Oregon and Washington both have state estate taxes. So a lot of people, a lot of wealthy people, well, I'm going to move to Washington and pay less taxes. But if they're over 10 million bucks, they actually will end up paying more estate taxes at the state level. So things can get kind of complicated when you're when you're worth that. And that's why you have to have careful planning involved. And those plans have to be updated at least every two years or whenever there's a major law change or whenever there's a major family change, whether that's a new kid, new grandkid, or a kid that maybe screws up and you want to leave money in trust so they don't screw up themselves. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Get your calls in the air. Today, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Rob Black and I are going to be together this Thursday, June 4th in Burlingame, 6.30 p.m. If you are, if you think you're within 10 years from retirement, maybe you're 55, maybe you're even 45, and you think, you know what, I could probably retire in about 10 years or less. Got assets, I think I have enough. I need to learn about budgeting, how to deal with Social Security, which accounts to draw from first, when to rebalance, when to sell how to take income, you want to stop by, that's for sure. Sign up to make sure you have a spot reserved. It's robblack.com or chadburton.com. And, uh, but we, I think we have a fairly decent room, so we might have some room for some walk-ins, but I'm not sure, so make sure you sign up for a spot. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about this 
segment is IRA rollovers or 401k rollovers rather. You know, it's so funny. I run into people all the time that have four or five different 401ks because they, they leave a job. You know, their, their first step is to get busy on finding a new job. Then they get their new job and then they're just slammed with learning their new role. And then one thing leads to another and you forget, oh, market's doing okay. I'm just, I'm not worried about my 401k. I haven't even looked at the statement in a year. I'm just going to leave it there. Now, most of the time, it's really good to consolidate all of those old accounts by either rolling it into an IRA or your existing 401k if it's a good one. That's, that's most of the time it's wise because it's really hard to look at your overall asset allocation. It's really hard to continue to rebalance your portfolio. It's really hard to look at what asset classes you're missing. For example, small cap international. For example, Europe. Maybe your exposure isn't high enough. How do you know if everything's all over the place? So you want to consolidate stuff. Now, how do you roll over a 401k? First, you decide where do you want your IRA to sit. If you want to manage it on your own in no-load funds, maybe that's a Vanguard, maybe it's a T. Rowe Price, um, a lot of good no-load fund companies out there if you're trying to do it on your own. Maybe you're trying to trade commission-free ETFs. I would go with a TD Ameritrade or a Schwab or a Fidelity. And manage it on your own if it's a smaller account. If you're trying to get just kind of index approach, commission for ETFs are everywhere now. Maybe you're like, I don't have time for this. I'm afraid I'm going to make mistakes. I don't have time to research what I'm investing. I have, you know, a decent size account. I want somebody else to manage it for me. First of all, stay away from commission-based people. Go with people that charge based on fees. So once you pick that person, the good ones are usually using a TD Ameritrade or Fidelity to be the custodian or Schwab. And so you pick the person that's going to roll over that. Either way, here's what happens. You open up the IRA rollover account. Once the account is open, you call the 401k company and you call them and say, hey, I want to do a 401k rollover to my IRA. Most of them do this over the phone now where they'll process the rollover the check gets made out to your IRA. It gets mailed to you. And then you just simply forward it on to the custodian. You don't have to sign the check or anything because it's already made out to your IRA. It's really as simple as that. Does it take a little time? Yes. But it's easy to consolidate accounts and do those rollovers. Now, what about reasons to avoid a rollover? Because there are true reasons. In fact, there's a big push in our industry because people have kind of been, well, trying to put the term nicely. They haven't give, been given good advice. There's been people that have taken 401ks. There's been people out there that call themselves financial advisors. Really, they're just commission-based salesmen. They get people to roll their 401ks into expensive annuity products that are loaded, loaded funds, private REITs or private real estate investment trusts or non-traded REITs, just garbage that's out there. That, oh, this is way better than your 401k at work. Well, that's not the case. Here's a couple of reasons why you would not do a 401k rollover to an IRA. Number one, let's say you've saved really, really well. Let's say you've been socking the money away since you were 18 when you had a job, and you're 55, and it's time to retire. Well, guess what? If you're 55 or older, and you've separated from service from your job, your 401k probably allows you to pull money out without that 10% penalty for being under 59 and a half. IRAs have a 59 and a half age limit, where if you pull money out before that, 
you face a 10% penalty. 401ks don't. Here's another reason. Maybe you own company stock in your 401k. Let's say you worked for Lockheed Martin, and you've got a bunch of Lockheed Martin stock that's in the plan. If that's the case, there's a thing called net unrealized appreciation that you can take advantage of, where when you do that rollover, you can take the shares of that stock, put it in a non-IRA account, pay the taxes on just the uh, cost basis of those the, of that stock, and then everything else would qualify for capital gains. But if you're still working, it might not make sense to do that. It might only make sense to do that once you've retired and you're going to be at a low tax bracket that year. So you have to be very careful with rolling that 401k over if you have stock in your company that you work for inside your 401k. That net unrealized appreciation is a really cool rule that a lot of people don't know about, and even a lot of dumb advisors don't know about. All right. Um, also, you have to you analyze the fees. There's a big push for people, for companies to you know, give letters to people that this is the overall fee structure in your 401k. Early on in my career, before I started New Focus Financial Group, I did a lot of 401k plans with, a, with another partner. And one of the things we would do is we would just target companies that had 401k plans with mostly principal in these annuities that were very expensive, and we'd go get them out of there and go directly into very low-cost mutual fund program, cut the plan fees way, way down, and provide some advice to the employees. And so very large companies that have a really good-sized retirement plan and the, the trustee of the retirement plan has done a really good job on getting costs way down and getting advice provided to employees at a discount, you've got to know what you're dealing with. You got to know what you're dealing with. So if you're being basically sold by an advisor that hasn't really explained the overall fee structure and everything else, and hasn't can kind of compared it to your existing plan or given you a reason why you should roll it over without looking at the overall fee structure, you you really need to look at those fees. For example, if you're in a 401k plan and you're in no load funds or even loaded funds that are load waived because the 401k plan is so big and your overall fee structure is very low. And some guy from some commission-based firm is saying, yeah, roll it over. There's a 3% fee to get in, but after that, the fees are low. Well, that's on 100 grand. That's 3,500 bucks right off the top. You got to get a huge return just to break even. So that's one reason why you wouldn't roll that over. Another one, an attorney. If an attorney says, don't roll your money over from a 401k to an IRA because you're about to be sued or bankruptcy, then... Listen to the attorney. So those are four reasons. Most of the time you want to do it, but those are four reasons why you wouldn't want to do it. If you want to get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Or email me, chad at chadburton.com. Take a quick break. We'll be right back.
personality. That's all part of it. That's foreplay. Foreplay is very Welcome back into the show. I'm your host for the day, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner, Rob Black. And I will be together this Thursday, June 4th, in Burlingame, 10 Pillars Retirement Income Planning. Make sure you sign up while there's still room. It's robblack.com or chadburton.com. Joining me now, though, is frequent guest Jeffrey Rosen, Dr. Jeffrey Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. Briefing.com is a place where I go every single morning. Uh, the first, one of the first places I visit each day is a page one report. And uh, so joining us now, Jeffrey Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. How are you? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So this Friday, jobs numbers coming out, right? That's Is that kind of the big thing that we're looking forward to this week? That's the big thing. I think that, uh, you know, we're all looking to see when the Fed's going to react, when they're going to increase rates. And I think really the only thing they're looking at right now is when is inflation going to pick up? Is inflation going to pick up? And that's all coming from the jobs report. Let's talk about the jobs report for a minute, because how accurate can this thing be nowadays in this in this world of kind of it's almost this barter type of world, right? We got Airbnb, we got people making money on websites like Etsy. Uh, is it really truly reflect what's going on in in the uh, you know private sector? I mean, if you believe that you're working, you're going to list that you're working. You know, that's basically the question asks. You know, for the unemployment rate, anyways, it says, you know, what is your current status? Are you do you have a job? And if you respond yes, if you're an Uber driver and you're doing that enough that you believe that that's a full-time job for you, or it's a part-time job, but it's what you are willing to do right now, you're going to write that yes, I have a job, and that's what it is. I mean, you know, Etsy. I you know, I actually have experience in that. My wife is uh, has her own store on Etsy. You know, she'll. She tells you every day that, you know, even though she's a single person uh, working, you know, she's in the LLC, she produces, and she's employed, you know, and one of her primary places of sales is, is just Etsy. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting approach, and it's it's I wonder, you know, how accurate these numbers are when it comes to that. I know people that have taken their homes, and rather than kind of run it out, they Airbnb it out, and, you know, their income has increased as a household, yet, a person hasn't gone back to work. They kind of gave up looking for work after 2007, and they're making money in other ways. So that, that's something to consider, I guess. Now, and speaking of inflation, response. You know, if you're going to rent out rooms mm-hmm. to your house, you know, it's not. You know, you, you could list yourself as being a, you know, a house manager or something like that for a rental property. But I mean, realistically, that's that's asset income. So it's not going to affect your employment. It's going to affect your. Uh, your income status, and it's going to show up in the income numbers as opposed to the employment numbers. Yep, that makes sense. Now, speaking of income, and let's let's talk a little bit about inflation. We did see numbers tick up in inflation. Uh, the ECB, I guess, talked about it recently. Um, are we going to have in the U.S. is the is the Federal Reserve or the the FOMC are they looking at inflation overseas versus here? and jobs? I mean, what do you think it'll take for them to raise rates, and when do you think the first rate increase will happen? Yeah, I don't think they're willing, really looking at inflation from Europe or inflation in China or, or Japan, for that matter. You know, really what they're looking to see is how is the employment situation tightening? And when the employment situation tightens, when employers are having a more difficult time finding employees, they're going to have to increase wages in order to attract workers. 
And that's what they're going to look at. They're going to look at the hourly earnings. They're going to look at the average work week. They're going to use that to come up with an idea of how strong the labor market is. You know, is the labor market truly improving based on what they're seeing? Just because you have job gains, just because someone you know has a job, if the aggregate incomes are slow growth, you're not going to have inflation, and that's going to put downward pressure on uh, you know economic gains. It's going to put down, downward pressure on the Fed's need to react. And if we look at it, you know, PCE, which is what the Fed uses for their uh, their inflation targets, core PCE has been below target for 36 consecutive months. You know, it, why? Because we're not seeing strong wage gains, and you know that's what we're going to find out. You know, when when are the wage gains starting to come? And and you'll see that the first instance will come in the uh, in the jobs report. Well, and we're seeing some, you know, waging in terms of the financial industry, which has been doing much better lately, obviously, anywhere in the world of money management, financial planning. That's one sector. We're starting to see, though, the, the minimum wage, the talk of company after company increasing minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. Um, is that enough to even move the needle? Is that something the FOMC even looks at? Oh, sure. I mean, it's everything, because if the minimum wage increases to $15 an hour, and let's say that then translates into uh, other income growth, because the people that were making $15 an hour before are now going to demand, you know, let's say 20 or, or 17 and a half. You know, it, it's going to push up overall income. If income goes up, businesses could afford to pass on higher prices. They could afford to raise their prices, especially if they haven't done so in a long time. That's inflation. That's that's what we're looking for. We're looking to see if price growth will return to that 2% level, allow the Fed to react to that, allow the Fed to step off the zero lower bound, you know, increase the rates, and, and that's what they're trying to do. You know, they keep saying that they want to raise rates. You know, we, we know that a rate hike is coming. You know, they're very uh, transparent on that. And the question is when, you know, and unless inflation starts picking up, you know, they're going to have to hold off. And, you know, right now it looks like the first rate hike, uh, you know, according to the Fed funds rate is in December. You know, you may get something a little bit uh, different as, as we move ahead. But, you know, right now that's, you know, probably the most realistic. I mean, that's how things are going. So what's that mean in terms of dollar versus euro? You've got a little break in this, you know, dollar increasing versus the euro in the recent weeks. But, you know, we're seeing some growth in, in Europe, yet the ECB say, nope, we're full speed ahead in terms of their version of quantitative easing. We have potential interest rate increases here. Do you pay too much attention to the dollar versus the euro? And if so, what's your thoughts? I look at more of the long-term trends. You know, if Europe keeps with their low interest rates for an extended period of time and the Fed hikes, you know, we should see more dollar growth against the euro. Uh you know, I don't know how strong it could get. You know, I don't know how long uh, the ECB is going to be willing to maintain uh, quantitative easing practices as long as economic growth is beating their expectations and as long as inflation is starting to rise faster than that they had seen before. You know, we're still, you know, you got to remember the ECB is only focused on inflation. That's their, their mandate. So, you know, you've had in the past where, uh, Faster than expected inflation caused a sooner than, than needed rate hike, which caused a, uh, a bad economic situation in Europe in 2013. So I, I don't know if the ECB is going to be 
you know, holding off as they as they should, or if they're going to move as their mandate suggests and raise rates earlier. So, you know, there's going to be that, you know, battle between, you know, what does the market perceive the ECB to do and what actually is going to happen, and that's going to affect the dollar-euro exchange because the market's going to price in those impacts when they're pricing what the dollar value is. Gotcha. And so with all this said, you've got an article up right now at briefing that uh, briefing.com says under the um, uh, economic insights section that says fewer negative surprises does not mean improving economic data. What does that all mean? So you have fewer negative surprises, but is, are you saying the economy isn't necessarily improving? Yeah, and basically what we've been seeing, um, especially over the last few weeks, you've had a lot of big beats in terms of uh, what, what the actual value is versus the consensus. But you got to remember that these actual values are still fairly weak. So even though the numbers are improving against what the consensus, you know, expects, they're not necessarily improving significantly against, you know, economic trends. So basically, what we're just seeing is that uh, the consensus values have been coming down. So they've been pulling their view of the world down, and with that, has made the beats possible. But that does not necessarily mean that economic growth is going to surpass, you know, what we've been seeing over the last, you know, six months. If you look at our indices, our index is based off of the Chicago Fed National Activity Index, which is a coincident index. And right now, over the last three months, including uh, the April numbers that we've had, uh, we have economic growth well below potential, which fits in with a GDP forecast right now, you know, of little bit over over zero, not much. You know, and that's kind of in line with the Atlanta Fed's GDP now forecast, which is you know calling before the trade numbers today. We're calling for only a 0.8 percent increase in Q2 GDP. You know, things just aren't moving ahead at the three percent level that we expected, especially what we thought of at the beginning of the year, where you know people were making some three and a half percent even. You know, things are just in this new normal type period still. Growth. I think you summed up. Maybe as best we can get. I think you summed up kind of the earnings season so far that we've had, too, is that expectations were just, you know, pulled down farther and farther and farther. So by the time analysts put out their expectations, it was almost too easy for the companies to come out and beat the numbers, uh, which caused the market to kind of push through all-time highs. I think you're saying the same thing, that expectations are so darn low, it's almost easy for the economy to beat it at this point, but it's still beating it with very mediocre numbers. Exactly. That, that's that's a perfect summary of what it is. Uh, just the fact that you're beating, it's a nice surprise, but if you look at the actual number, you know, number itself isn't very meaningful. You know, it'd be wonderful if, you know, we have a forecast right now of, uh, you know, I think 225 is the consensus on, on payrolls mm -hmm. on Friday. You know, if we get a 300, that's great, but we've been at 300 before, you know. Right, right. What we really want to we gotta cut it off. We got we to leave it right there, Dr. Rosen. I appreciate it. We've been speaking with Jeffrey Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back.
back into the show. I'm your host for the day, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Rob Black and I will be together this Thursday, June 4th, 6.30 p.m. in Burlingame. Forget about sitting in traffic. Come in and learn about retirement planning. If you think you're within about 10 years or so from retirement, you think you might have enough, you're not sure, you're about to retire, you're in retirement, trying to get a second opinion on what you're doing, if it's the right way to go about things, this is the event for you. Stop in, have some hors d'oeuvres and a beverage, and uh, Rob and I will try to educate you and entertain you. It's kind of how we keep them, is uh, you will walk away learning something. I can guarantee that. Uh, you can sign up at chadburton.com or robblack.com. There may be some walk-ins available. There's some space now, but the best thing to do is sign up and reserve your spot. Sign up at chadburton.com or robblack.com. And by the way, um, people are asking how to get the podcast of my show. If you go to chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com, there is a link on iTunes, or a link to iTunes. And uh, also, if um, you go to my Facebook page, which is New Focus Financial Group, is the Facebook page. Let me know you're listening. Click like. And there's also, I just posted the link to the, the podcast there as well. So um, a couple of things that I'm going to talk about too at this this event. Rob will go over some, uh, how to look for dividend achiever stocks. What does that mean? We've got Michelle Lerman, estate planning attorney and specialist. That's all she does is estate planning. Five key things you need to know about as you go into retirement when it comes to your estate plan how to minimize taxes. Most people now have old living trusts. If you have a living trust that was done before 2012, it likely increases your taxes to your heirs now because there was a sweeping change to a state tax law that happened December of 2012 and it minimized the state taxes for most Americans. Or, you know, if you, basically if you're married over 10.5 million or single over... Um, under 5.45 million, you don't have an estate tax problem anymore, but leaving money in a certain way in, in the old trusts could increase your income taxes for your heirs. It's a little bit silly, but that's the way it works. So you got to update those plans every two years at least. So what are the 10 pillars of retirement income planning? Basically, you have to say, yes, I've got every single one of these dialed in. I know the details of it. I can look out 20 years and know exactly what I'm doing. And I have a plan A and plan B in terms of how I'm going to, you know, financial planning and retirement is very dynamic. You actually get a lot of monitoring. You don't just say, okay, my goal was $2 million to retire at 65 uh, and you're done. That's not the case. It's actually a, a quarterly rebalancing. Um, you have to monitor your expenses, monitor your returns, monitor your entire net worth. So 10 pillars. Number one, really know your expenses. Expenses in retirement, one of the big ones that people don't realize is health care costs. Certain health care costs like Medicare Part B, co-pays, prescription drugs, dental, all of those things that add up. And the inflation rate on those items is 5 to 6%. A lot of people retire having no hobbies and then they get hobbies. They golf more. They travel more. Are those things built into your plan? Do you have charitable donations in there? Most wealthy people tend to give money, and they give more in retirement because it makes them feel better. They donate a lot of time and money. There's certain types of insurance. For example, uh, there's still companies like Lockheed Martin, for example, that have uh, pension plans, and they offer different things that if you die, your spouse gets zero. You die, your spouse gets 50%. You die, your spouse gets 100%. The amounts are very different. You might need life insurance. Most retirees do not need life insurance. Pensioners, they might need insurance. 
There's identity theft insurance. There's earthquake insurance, all those types of things that you may or may not need that need to be built into your plan. Number two is maximizing Social Security benefits. This is situations where you have a married couple, maybe a little bit age difference, maybe income difference, where it's about 8% rate of return on your money if you wait from 66 to 70 to start taking income. But if you go in and file a restricted application, in other words, I'll go in probably at 67 and say, Social Security, I'm filing for benefits, but it's a restricted application. Or actually, I'm sorry, I said it backwards. I'm going to file but suspend my benefits. I'm going to file for my benefits, but I'm going to suspend them until I'm 70. I don't want any income. That will allow my spouse to go in and file a restricted application. She can take spousal benefits between 66 and 70, and then at 70, turn on her own. So there's situations like that where if somebody lives till about 90, 95, it could be over $100,000 of extra income from Social Security, believe it or not. You got to really know your tax situation because you could have two couples and they might have, you know, a million dollars in retirement, but one couple, it's all in an IRA. The other couple, it's a mix. Well, the couple that has a mix has a much lower tax bracket. The couple that uh, has all in IRAs, well, they have to do what's number four, which is maximize your marginal bracket and fight the IRA tax trap. Which accounts do you draw from first is basically the question and answer situation that I go through on that one. The other one is planning for a surviving spouse. If you have pensions, if you have large Social Security differences between two spouses, when one spouse dies, what happens? When one spouse goes into a nursing home, what happens? Do you have enough? You have to plan for their survivor, not only one that survives the health issue, but survives longer into life. Also, tax-efficient investing, which types of assets you have. Large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, REITs, commodities, bonds, different types of accounts, or different types of asset classes, where do you hold each of them? We talk about rebalancing your portfolio when to sell, turning on the dividend interest tap, that's number eight. Nine, protect against longevity by using some bond alternatives that guarantee income that you can't outlive. But at the same time, we talk about avoiding traditional annuity products that have commissions involved. Most of them are garbage. And then talk about long-term detailed cash flow projections and how to monitor those in retirement. So a lot of good stuff. Make sure you sign up. Ten Pillars Retirement Income Planning, June 4th. Rob Black and myself, Burling Game. Go to chadburton.com or robblack.com to sign up. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com. Have a great day, everybody. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.